Good morning. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Christ is risen indeed. Hopefully today that that reality brings a reminder of hope for all of us. That being said, as you notice my voice drop a little bit, this past year in some respects, I'm sure for many of us it's been a struggle to find hope and peace. We've mentioned this before, even here at Miriam Christian Chapel, the realities of political unrest, social unrest, unprecedented isolation, the continual redefining of what is good and what is evil. It's taken a toll on many of us. How are we to find hope and victory in such a fallen and depraved world? An article was written in 1990 that described a certain experience, or experiment, I should say, examining this topic of hope. Two sets of laboratory rats were placed in separate tubes of water. The researchers left one set in the water and found that within an hour they had all drowned. The other rats were periodically lifted out of the water and then returned. When that happened, the second set of rats swam for over 24 hours. Why? Not because they were given a rest, but because they suddenly had hope of some kind. Those animals somehow had hope that if they could stay afloat just a little longer, someone would reach down and rescue them. If hope holds such power for unthinking rodents, how much greater should its effect be on our lives? Webster's defines hope as to cherish a desire with anticipation to want something to happen to be true. What do we cherish? What do we want with all of our hearts to be true? Whatever that might be, what will ultimately provide an anchor for our soul? One that is able to weather the turbulent storms of life, the crashing waves of this world. Some of you may be familiar with the famous allegorical novel Pilgrim's Progress, written by John Bunyan. The main character, Christian, as he traversed his journey of life to his final destination, the celestial city, encountered many trials along the way. One of those trials was the giant despair in Doubting Castle. It's almost in some respects as if we are facing our own giant despairs in our own Doubting Castles. What might be a key for us to unlock that doubting castle. 
throughout our series in Philippians, we've continued to see the foundation of the gospel of Christ and the fellowship of Christ. They have repeatedly encouraged us in our desire to conduct our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. As providence would have it today, here, Resurrection Sunday, we come to Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21 for more answers. Our question to answer this morning will be, what does a life filled with hope look like? Within this passage, we will see three principles that provide some direction. Principles for growing in holiness, which in turn produces a life that is capable of living with hope and peace. If you would, please stand with me for the reading of our passage for today. God's inerrant, inspired, authoritative word of God. Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. You may be seated. Thanks be to God for his word. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Our first principle today is a life that follows godly examples. To begin this section, Paul uses this word brethren to convey a deeper, more personal connection. He used the same word in verse 13 from which we saw last week. As a reminder, in verse 13, he says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Earlier on, we saw as he spoke of his friend, Epaphroditus, he referred to him as my brother, The emphasis here is communicating a sense of equality amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. A desire to not come across as being of greater importance than his fellow brothers, sisters, fellow workers, soldiers, 
in Christ. Why is that important? Paul is actually commanding the church to continually follow his example and to observe others who walk in this manner. He, as well as the church, were equals in Christ, pursuing a common goal, if you will. This would have been critical in creating an atmosphere for the church to be willing to follow that example. The command is, in essence, to mimic or imitate while also paying careful attention to. What were they to follow? The previous context of knowing Christ above all things compared to counting the things of this world as loss is key. In addition, as we saw last week, pressing on towards the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The second command, observe, is actually the same word that is translated as goal in verse 14. Last week, Pastor John gave us the illustration of a runner who presses on to the finish line. The same illustration applies here. As we consider zeroing in on godly examples in our lives. In light of that, allow me to offer one suggestion. Without the influence of godly influence, without the filter of godly influence, the news of this world will not produce hope and peace. Keep your focus upon those who walk according to a godly pattern. In order to further clarify his purpose, he uses these words, Paul. Walk and pattern. This word walk is found all throughout the New Testament. 20 out of 30 times in the New Testament. It's a metaphor concerning godly conduct. The word pattern is very similar in that it communicates a model of behavior. A model that counted everything as loss compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. The only model that produces hope and peace. Scripture is not silent when it comes to the importance of a life that follows godly examples. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 reads, Be imitators of me, just as I am also of Christ. Well, 1 Thessalonians chapter verse 14 reads, For you, brethren, become imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. Well, the writer to the Hebrews, chapter 13, reads, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. 
consider the contrast of that. Paul spoke clearly to in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, when he said that bad company corrupts good character. So, let's take a moment to reflect on the significance of this principle and how it affects our own desire to live a life filled with hope. First and foremost, it must begin with the reality that above all else, we are Christ followers. However, at the same time here and throughout Scripture, we see that God uses the body to encourage, edify, and equip one another. It begins with a relationship. A relationship that you can say, my brother, my sister. Just as it allowed Paul to charge the church to follow his example, it will allow you to follow the examples of others, for others to follow your example with that type of intimate connection and love and affection for the body of Christ. It also, as we discussed, involves a laser-focused commitment to follow and observe the godly examples in your life. The same type of commitment as a runner solely focused upon the finish line. When we fellowship with our brothers and sisters, do we ever get by the things of this world? We must get past the surface, seeking to sharpen one another, as the proverb says, like iron. Godly examples and influence such as this will inevitably serve to edify and encourage us to live a life filled with hope. Finally, A life that follows godly examples will find strength when there is none left to find. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 11 and 12 conveys this very truth. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end so that you will not be sluggish imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Within our local church, there are so many examples of my brothers and sisters who are fighting the good fight of faith that we can look to and imitate. We need these godly examples and The body needs you to be a godly example. In our second principle, we will see one of the reasons why we need this command from Scripture. And that is a life that is weary of the world. A life that is weary of the world. 
Often in life, it's necessary to grasp the bad news in order that we might fully appreciate the good news. A month ago, I'm fairly certain that the people of Boulder, Colorado, if asked, would have likely appreciated their local law enforcement. Now, after the death of ten human beings made in the image of God, more than likely, I would venture to guess that they have a much deeper level of appreciation and respect for those who have been called to serve and protect them. Paul wanted this church to follow his example because he knew that there were many who were enemies of the cross of Christ. Many that might lead them astray. And he in turn used these dangerous realities to strengthen them according to his previous command. Look again at verse 18. We read, For many walk of whom I often told you, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. A life that is weary of the world is better equipped to beware of its influence, better positioned to be prepared to manifest hope and peace in this life. Paul says there are many, many who walk as enemies. Why is it difficult at times to follow godly examples? Well, the reality of the fact is that unfortunately, there are many more opportunities to do so, to follow the contrary of godly examples. Jesus made this truth clear. In Matthew chapter 7, when he said, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. So, who were these enemies Paul was alluding to? Some have suggested from the previous context that they are this self-righteous influence that we spoke about several weeks ago that were adding works to the gospel. In chapter 3, verse 2, Paul referred to them as dogs, evil workers, false circumcision. Let's look a little closer for some potential clues. In verse 19, he gives four characteristics concerning these enemies. Characteristics that cause us to be weary of the world, yet motivate us to pursue principles that enable us to live a life filled with hope. We stated in the introduction that Webster's defines hope as something that is cherished or desired in anticipation. Right from the on onset, we see the exact opposite of what might be cherished 
and desired with anticipation. Paul says their end is destruction. The word end is a word that communicates a final destination. Hope is not certainly found in a life that ends in eternal damnation. A sobering reality, but a true one that enables us to greater appreciate his charges, the positive example, the significance of what this victory that we sing about in Christ if the end is destruction, then what does a life, that type of life, look like? He says, whose God is their appetite. If he's referring to the self-righteous Jews, then perhaps he's referring to individuals that were too focused upon the Levitical laws concerning food. Or maybe he's simply referring to physical desires that operate as the world's God, small g. Whether this ungodly influence is theological or moral, the warning remains true for us even here today. No amount of righteousness, peace, or hope can ever be found in the works of the flesh or a religion of works. He then says, whose glory is their shame. Once again, the argument could go either way in who Paul intends to reference. If he intends to connect the dots to the evil workers of chapter 3, verse 2, then these are the false circumcision. Judaizers that were adding works to the gospel. Or... In contrast to the great truth of Romans chapter 3, verse 10, that no one is righteous, no, not one. These are simply ones who are glorying in themselves. And then he finally says, who set their minds on earthly things. This phrase translated as set their minds communicates the sense that they were constantly thinking upon worldly things. Romans chapter 8 verse 7 paints this picture of despair all too well. When Paul says, because the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. For it is not even able to to do so. If we continue our two considerations of who these individuals might be that Paul is referring to, then perhaps they are Hebrews only trusting in their lineage of ethnicity, if you will. Instead of counting it, as Paul said previously, as loss, they look to it as their crown of significance. Or, perhaps they are simply pursuing the lusts of the flesh. So, how does all of this 
provide for our hope and peace when we walk out those doors today. If our focus is upon the self-righteous influence of those that would add works to the gospel, then I would remind you of the sweet and precious account of Martha and Mary in Luke chapter 10. And let me share that with you. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who had who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Are we so preoccupied with distractions and preparations in this life that we are not sitting at the feet of our Lord and Savior desiring with all our hearts to hear from Him and this precious Word of God. Psalm 119, 114 will say, You are my refuge and my shield I put my hope in your word. Or do we simply see Paul warning the church concerning moral corruption as many glory in their flesh? And I would remind you of our Lord's words from Mark chapter 8 when he said, And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and he said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? There's a reason why a life filled with hope will be a life that denies and loses itself. Why is that? Because a life that sets its minds on earthly things will be a life that is devoid and absolutely absent of hope. With the positive example and the negative example in place, Paul turns his attention to the ultimate reason for hope. Let's look to our final principle from our question, what does a life filled with hope look like? And that is a life that lives for eternity. 
Look with me again at verse 20. Paul says to the church at Philippi, for our citizenship is in heaven. From which we also. From from which also we eagerly wait for a savior. The Lord Jesus Christ. When you think of citizenship, when it comes to our country, perhaps you're filled with a sense of pride. And in many respects, that's a good and honorable thing. The word citizenship would have communicated a colony of foreigners. A life filled with hope will live and work within its society. But listen to this. Ultimately, it will understand its temporary residence. Beware of being too tied to the things of this world. We saw that within the previous verses. What will bring hope in a world that is continually at war against us? The acknowledgement, my brothers and my sisters, that we are but strangers. We are but exiles passing through this land. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 and 16, communicate this beautiful truth. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they have been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Hallelujah. Some of us were tied to our TVs several months ago, eagerly awaiting the results of the last presidential election. Some of us are eagerly awaiting, and I would say rightfully praying that God would bring a revival of righteousness to this land. However, in the context, which was far worse than what we even see here today, of Caesar as Lord, Paul urges the church to realize that their citizenship is in heaven. And that their greatest anticipation 
which they eagerly await for is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hope is what we all desire. To do so will manifest a life that lives for eternity. Some days are better than others for us when it comes to that reality. Each and every one of us. We all struggle still. Although we've been made new and we practice righteousness, we do not practice sin, we still wrestle with a flesh that so easily entangles us. Although there's still even better news here today on this Resurrection Sunday. The best news, the ultimate reason for hope. Jesus Christ was crucified for sin, bearing the weight and the punishment that we all deserve. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says that all know God, yet they choose to suppress him in unrighteousness. He bore that weight that each and every one of us deserve. And yet, dying on the cross at Calvary, three days later, arose from the grave. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 will tell us that death has been swallowed up in victory. As children of the living God, Sin has no more power over us because of his resurrection. Moreover, it is because of that resurrection that this body that still wrestles with the flesh will one day eventually acquire the greatest reason for hope. Look with me at a fitting conclusion to Resurrection Sunday at verse 21. Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. This phrase, body, of a humble state is literally translated a body of humiliation. We all understand this humiliation. A lowly status we understand concerning this body, a body of unimportance, a body tainted with sin. But for those who are in Christ, a day is coming where that body will be transformed and conformed with His glory. We will be like Him when we are reunited with Him as citizens 
of heaven. First John chapter three, verses one and two communicate the beauty of this picture. A life that will be transformed into conformity with his glory. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. If that's not a reason for hope, I don't know what is. This is a life that is filled with hope based upon the absolute promise of God to His children. And why is it an absolute promise? Because Christ is exerting His power to do so. The same resurrection power that He has to subject all things to Himself. Listen to the hope of this promise found in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19-21 concerning the power of the resurrection. And what is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. There is an age to come for his people where we will find our ultimate resting place of hope and peace as citizens of heaven no longer afflicted with sin pain and suffering conformed to the body of his glory on this resurrection sunday 2021 do you know that your hope is secure in Christ alone and in His power? Are you able to follow godly examples, to be weary of this world while living for eternity? If so, then I say rejoice in the God of your salvation, for He has given you reason to hope and to be glad here today. And every day, we are but strangers and exiles in this land, living with all of our heart and soul, following godly examples, yet knowing that this is not our home. 
However, if there is anyone here today who has truly never tasted what it means to have hope such as this, the scripture would proclaim to you in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In light of this great, great answer for hope, If there's anyone here today that faces that, I would say turn today from your sin. Turn from a mind that is set upon earthly things and receive Christ today by faith alone. I plead and beg with you because apart from that, as we've seen from our text, and throughout Scripture, your end is destruction. And no hope. But for those of us that understand this truth, this is the greatest promise of hope the world will ever know. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you here today as unworthy, humble servants. We thank you, O God, that you have conquered the sting of death and sin. That sin that so easily entangles us has no power over us. Yes, Lord, we wrestle with the flesh and we are weak at times, but greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world. In our weakness, we find strength in You, O oh God. Resurrection power. Lord, would You strengthen us today each and every day that we live as exiles in a foreign land to pursue holiness, that without which no one will see the Lord. But to live with an eager anticipation of what is to come. A life filled with hope because of what you have done on the cross, and through your resurrection from the grave. And Lord, as we close here today, my heart desires to once again call out to anyone that perhaps sits in this room here today without that hope. Your word says, if they might call upon you, they shall be saved. 
In the precious and mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.